This morning, we are going to be anchored in Ephesians chapter 3, so if you have your Bible, you can turn in it or turn it on. I don't know if you, you carry Bibles anymore, um, but if you have it on your phone, you can jump there. Ephesians chapter 3 is where we're going to be anchored, um, but the, the verse that we are really springboarding off of to this whole series in treasure is found in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 8, and it says these words, Though I am the least deserving of all God's people... He, God, graciously gave me, Paul, the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone the mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. Um, These words, endless treasures... I don't know if you just skip over that or if you just fly by it, but I hope you stop and go, if I don't see Christ as endless treasure, why is that? Like, have you ever just stopped and gone, endless treasure? I don't don't know that I've ever seen Jesus that way. Why not? And what is it that causes me to almost, in a way, devalue what Paul says is endless? The the ESV actually says the unsearchable riches of Christ. So this is no little thing. This is no little Jesus is the little thing on the cross that I wear and I walk around. I don't even know anything about him. I don't even know anything about the cross. I just wear it. This is, no, this is everything. He's saying the treasures go on and on and on and on. And if I don't see Jesus that way, the problem's not with Jesus. I might just be consumed with other things that I think are treasure. And so the truth of of this journey that Paul takes us on is one of, well, what are those endless treasures? And I love that we've been able to talk about and unpack these things that we call grace. We often just talk about grace as forgiveness. Well, that was the first thing we talked about. We talked about knowing that this is the door to relationship, understanding that my sin has been forgiven, the wrong, the rebellion, the running after things, that the refusal to be with God, wanting to be God, all the war that I've been striving against him with has been settled because of Christ. Like forgiveness is something we have access to in the kingdom of God. And that is because of what Jesus did. But then uh, two weeks ago, Christopher talked about acceptance. And I love the picture of when I know that I'm accepted here because of what Christ has done, when I am rejected this way, did you know the world's not over? Like you can still live on. You can still move and breathe and live and love the way Christ has. Because this acceptance, which I was made for, I have total access to. Because of Jesus. And then last week we talked about God's presence. God's presence is what makes the church. It's what made Israel unique on the earth. It wasn't just about the way they lived. It was who lived among them. His presence truly does separate us from the rest of the world. And the invitation is to go out from us to the rest of the world. God wants to be among his people and he's made a way and it's in Christ. This morning, we're going to be looking at God's grace and how it empowers us. And I believe this is crucial. There is this mentality in the church and why we would talk about God's grace as empowering us is because there is a 
idea that somehow Jesus is the door into the Christian faith, and now it's up to me to do everything else. It is a broken and false way of thinking in the church. We look at Jesus as the diving board into the Christian faith. Now it's up to me to work on things, to work on myself, to work for the Lord, and in a way, work to God. And it is a broken system. God actually empowers us. See, the sad realization here is that many people begin to try and live a Christian life without Christ. And I know this may be a ridiculous illustration, but if you were to rent a bounce house for your children and tell the bounce house owner, I would like to rent the bounce house without the fan and motor thing. I'm going to sit there and try and blow it up for my kids because I'm so strong. How ridiculous of a picture is that? But that's what we do in the Christian walk. We're going, you know what? I want the bounce house. I just don't want the power behind it. I think I'm going to try and impress my children by blowing up the bounce house on my own. That's how crazy it really is living the Christian life apart from the Christian source, Jesus. We, in our own ways, can live a Christian life without Jesus. And it's a ridiculous attempt. We will find ourselves in circles and traps and failings and not feeling like I can do enough or I'm good enough or I can't do it. I'm broken. I'm out. Maybe I'm just not cut out for this. You know what? You're not cut out for it. There's only one person who lived the Christian life perfectly and they named it after him. You cannot live this Christ following life apart from the source. God has truly empowered us to live the way he's asked us to. And that's the mystery of this good news. Ephesians is a prison letter written to the churches in Ephesus. It is, uh, Ephesus was Paul's third missionary journey. Um, and he spent possibly up to three years in this city. So he spent a lot of time with these people. It was a good time of ministry. He actually spent time in this, Acts chapter 19. You can go there and read it. He spent time proclaiming God's kingdom to people in the synagogues. And when they got mad, he went to the teaching halls. So when they kicked him out of the synagogue, he just went and spent time in places with, with everybody that would pass by and give him the time of day. And he did this for almost two years in these teaching halls, talking about Jesus and who he is, what he's done, and the significance that this means for us. Paul also performed while he was in Ephesus, like he was given the ability to perform miracles. Like if a napkin or a cloak or something just touched Paul and then touched a sick person, it would heal them. Like this is the kind of stuff and ministry that was going on in Ephesus. One of my favorite stories in all the Bible happened in Ephesus. Paul and his guys were there doing their ministry and there were these, this traveling band of brothers who would go around and they would say, in the name of Jesus, the one that Paul talks about, we cast out these demons. Like that's what they would say. They would say, in the name of Jesus, the one who Paul talks about, we cast out these demons. They have one encounter with a demon-possessed man who says, I've heard of Jesus, I heard of Paul, but I ain't never heard of you, sons. And the Bible says he jumps on them, attacks them, and they run away naked. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. This went on in Ephesus. So you see all of this stuff going on, and it's a great picture 
of, of all the crazy chaos that they walk through in this area. So there's a deep affection for the people of Ephesus. Acts 19 says these words, verse 17. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus. To Jews and Greeks alike, a solemn fear descended on the city and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Listen to this. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Like Ephesus was a place that loved magic. They loved the cults. I mean, so we're talking Harry Potter bringing his book and his wand, throwing it in the fire and going, every knee bows to the King Jesus. Like that's what's happening in these people's lives. And it starts to create a stir. In fact, the silversmiths, you can read on in Acts, the silversmiths get together and they're like, hey, this dude Paul is telling everybody that our man-made idols are worthless. Let's get him. People aren't gonna buy our idols that we make and it's affecting our well-being. And they begin to have this riot and all these people start to get together and they drag them into this Colosseum and they're all like, boo, Paul, boo, Paul. And they're all like mad and angry. And then the governor and the mayor is like, guys, this is out of control. We need to calm this down. And so Paul and his, his buddies are like, it's time to go. And so they leave and they're on their way out. And within five years of being in Ephesus, Paul is under house arrest in Rome, which he believed the Lord took him there, brought him there, wanted him there. And he was under house arrest writing this letter. And it was in Rome that he was later killed by beheading. So the book of Ephesians, and if you look at some of Paul's letters, you can see he's addressing a specific issue. Like there might be something that needs to be addressed. This letter is a general instruction. And what I love about it is if you don't know what the gospel is about, jump into Ephesians. Six chapters. It's an amazing portrait. The first three chapters of all that God has done. The mind-boggling um, gospel message. The transformation that has happened because we are united with Christ. First three chapters. If you're like, I don't understand the treasures of Jesus, first three chapters, soak in it. Just sit there, read it over and over and over. The what of the gospel, that we have been reconciled to God, and even more than that, we've been reconciled to each other. Like the beautiful picture of gospel unity is that the walls that the world wants to build between us, conservative, liberal, I think this way, I'm progressive, I'm not, I'm this, I'm that, all the walls that the world wants to build, Jesus goes, nope, not among you. Among you, those walls are gone. There are no, that you will not look at each other through the lens of the world. You will look at each other through the lens of the reconciliating, reconciliated work of Christ. You will not be allowed to define yourself the way the world does. So not only has Jesus brought us into right relationship with him, he's actually giving us the way to have right relationship with each other. And you can tell, you can tell when we are divisive and, and when we are building walls that we may not really understand all the things laid out for us in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Now the second half of Ephesians is the what now. It's the, if you wanna go, okay, so now God has done this work, chapters four, five, and six really is the what now. 
Because of God's great love for us, we will live this way. Not, well, if I wanna get God's love, I should live this way. Not, if I want God's love, I should live this way. But because of God's love, this will be how we live. This is one of the best pictures of the what, what is the gospel, and the what now. What does the gospel life look like? First three chapters, what? Second three chapters, what now? And Paul takes the people through this, continually reminding them of the power of what Christ has done. So let's read Ephesians chapter three, starting in verse 14. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul is actually, uh, if some of, in some of your scriptures you may have like a dot at the very first verse that we read in verse 14, he is actually picking up from an interrupted thought in verse one. Like he starts out, when I think of all this, and then he kind of trails off. Like, I don't know if you get like distracted when you're praying and you start thinking about your lists and you start thinking about the things you need to get done and you start thinking about, oh, I need to go to this website. I think about, you, go, you get distracted. He got distracted, but his distraction wasn't about the lists of things he has to get done. His distraction was like, this gospel's crazy. Like when I think of all this, and he's referring to chapters one, two, and three, when it, or chapters one and two, and it, it, he's thinking about all these things, and he's like, the mystery of the gospel is insane. I can't even believe this. And he gave me this message to reconcile. I don't even, oh wait, where was I? Oh yeah, when I think of all this, and he gets back to, when I think of all this, he has broken down into prayer for us, something that goes beyond just knowing about the power of God. Ephesians 1, we prayed it this morning. We prayed this prayer. God, would you enlighten us? Would you un help us understand? Would you give us this knowledge? Part of, part of being taught is learning that you don't know something. And I think what God does when he shows up is he helps break down the things we don't know so that he can help us know the things we need to know. And so what he does in Ephesians 1 is he says, Lord, help us know the things we need to know. But there's a difference between just knowing something and then being the thing he's talking about. Ephesians 3 is enabling, empowering, and walking out this new understanding. Now, um, I don't know if you guys have seen Endgame yet. I'm not gonna do any spoilers yet. Um, but if you turned on the TV, uh, chances are you could find an old Marvel movie to watch while this movie was coming out. And uh, Captain America was on, origin stories. We love the origin stories. Um, but you guys remember before... Captain America, you remember Tiny Steve Rogers? 
And then you, you, you see, oh, whoa, Steve Rogers. Like, you remember that scene. Like, everybody remembers the scene when he has been injected with the serum and he's in there, he's yelling, and then that door opens and then Agent Carter is like, you know, and it, we all walked through that scene. We were like, what just happened to this? This dude comes out of this thing thinking and looking and going, what in the world? Now, if you remember that scene, he, he knows something is different. He knows something is different. But there's a bomb that goes off, somebody gets shot, and Steve has to move from knowing that something is different to walking in the difference real fast. Like, and they point to it in a really funny way. Like, he starts chasing. Do you remember the car chase? And he's running, and he, he's running so fast he can't slow himself down, and he smashes through windows because it's awkward for him to start doing all the stuff that he now knows he can do. So there's a difference between knowing that things have changed and walking in what has actually changed. Paul is actually saying here, it's time to stop just knowing things and start walking in these things. And man, oh man, do we, are we, we are so full up on knowing things. There are podcasts and YouTube and Google and Facebook and you can get five minute devotions here and you can get so much, so much, so much knowledge, knowledge, understanding, knowledge, understanding. But Paul is saying it's time to be all the things that God has done in us and through us. Paul actually starts this portion of Ephesians saying, when I think of all these things. Now, your homework assignment, if you'll go home and do it, is to write down all these things. All you gotta do is you go through Ephesians 1, 2, and you just get to write down all these things. I did that this week. Every spiritual blessing that we have, we've been adopted, we've been united, we've been loved and chosen, we've been made holy without fault, we've been brought to glory, God by God, where grace has been poured out, freedom's been purchased, sins have forgiven, showered with kindness, given wisdom, given understanding, Christ revealed to us, we've got an inheritance, Jews and Gentiles alike can be saved, we're identified as God's own, the Holy Spirit's been given to us, we are a loving people, we have a strong faith, we have spiritual wisdom, we have insight, our hearts have been flooded with light, we have been given understanding for those who believe God's powers at work in us, God put all things under the authority of Christ, Christ is the head of the church, the church is fully complete once dead not once in sin once subject to God's anger but now God loved us he gave this to us he raised us from the dead he's seated with us us with Christ we're futures of examples of the grace that he's given us salvation is a gift God's masterpieces we are created anew can we do good works God's plan for us from the beginning we were once outsiders we were once apart we were once excluded we once did not know God's promises we were once without God once without hope once far away but now we've been brought near by the power of Christ we are one new people hostility is gone. He's ended the system of law and requirements against us. Good news has been brought. Now we can come to the Father. We're no longer strangers or foreigners. We're citizens. We're members of God's house. We are his house. Carefully joined together, we are becoming a holy temple for the Lord. <sighs> can you understand why Paul would say, when I think of all this, I drop to my knees and I thank my father. Like, when was the last time you did that? When was the last time you just really felt the weight of all that God has done without you even asking for it? 
You didn't even know what to ask for. And Christ has made a way. So when he says, when I think of all this, please know it's not him going, I guess a guy did something on the cross one time. When he's saying all this, he means all this. He hits his knees. Now, for many people in Jewish customs, the knees is not a, a, a way of praying. In fact, many of you probably have seen many Jewish men stand. They rock back and forth when they're praying. But Paul is actually humbled by this. The stories that Jesus will give of the Pharisees, they stand in the temple and pray. Paul has been bowled over by the love of God in Christ. And he's on his knees. And it's humility and it's thanksgiving. But the beautiful thing about this is that not, on, not, not only is he bowled over, but he recognizes that God has all authority and all power. And so he doesn't go into thanksgiving that you have all power. He goes, I'm gonna go straight into praying because you have all power. You have everything that I need. Your glorious and unlimited resources. God is not a beggar, God. He is not limited to what we have. He has everything. It would make no sense to ask a limited God for this kind of thing to go on in us. For many of the Greeks and the Romans, their, 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 the mythical tales of their gods truly pointed to limited beings. If you didn't know this, it was the, the gods existed because the people needed them. And so when the people weren't needing the gods, what would the gods do? They'd create disasters so that the people would cry out to them, therefore being needed, okay? So there was this like coexisting among them. The gods were around the people as long as the people needed the gods. And so the gods would do things. They're fickle and they're just like us. Paul is saying God is not like that. He has no needs. He doesn't need any of us. But the beauty of the gospel is that he wants all of us to know him, to walk with him, to journey with him. And it is from his glorious and unlimited resources that I'm asking that he would fill you with inner strength. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says this. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Paul says that we, that he is praying that we would have inner strength through his spirit. Uh, I was sitting in the doctor's office one time with Zeke and they called somebody's name. They're like, um, Miss Mary, you know, is, are you Miss Mary? And she stands up and she's like, what's left of her? You know, and I thought it was an amazing answer. Like, it was great. And um, it, just the idea and knowing that these bodies are falling apart. They are. And if we're only looking to be strengthened on the outside, we're missing what God wants to do on the inside. Um, I was uh, one, on one of my very first like high school youth group retreat experiences I'd ever been on. Uh, I remember there was an older woman who was preparing all the meals for our small youth group. And the end of the, the, end of the week there, she came and she shared uh, with us. And it was weird because we were like, whoa, this lady's gonna talk. And so she did. And I remember her saying, I am a broken vessel and all I want is people to see God through my crack. <laughs> I'm not a terrible person because you all laughed, okay? You heard it. 
I heard it, and it is exactly how I did it. But nobody else laughed. I was the only one going, <laughs> no, we're not, we're not doing this. We're not doing this now. Okay, okay, we're not doing this. So everybody, chill out. Be mature. Stop it. But this woman truly did display the power of Christ, her body failing, her, her, you know, but she was serving in a way that revealed Christ to us because she prepared all of our lunches every day. I mean, it was amazing to see this, but for her to say that is to understand that the inner strength that God has put in us is what changes the game. It's not the physical appearance. It's not the things on the outside. It's the inward strength by his spirit that allows that space in us, this cave, this chest whole cave that we have right here for Christ to move in and make his home, not visit. It's not an Airbnb for Jesus. My heart is not a place where he comes and stays for three days. My heart is his home. And I need to be strengthened to know that. I need to have the strength of God in here preparing that place for him to make his home. He's not looking for an Airbnb. He's looking for a residence. In our hearts, the center of all that we are, Paul is saying, may they be rooted in God's love We are in a culture that obsesses over outward transformation. It's why we watch all the outward transformation shows. It's why we're addicted to them. We love to see houses changed. We love to see um, baking skills changed. We love to see all the outer focus shows. We, We love every snap, Insta, Facebook filter we can put on our face because we just love to hide the layers that we are fading away. God is saying, I am doing something in you that will never fade away. Do you value it? It is not my love for God that is gonna keep me rooted. It's not my love for you that's going to keep me rooted. It is actually God's love for me that is going to keep me rooted. It is God's love for you that is going to keep you rooted. Do you visit that? Or do you live in that? Ephesians 3.18 says this, and may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. As all God's people should. Can you imagine the influence a group of people who are rooted in God's love for us could have on a city? Some of y'all are like, I'm just glad I got this. But what if you began to start praying for your church and for the people on the row sitting next to you to the left and to the right? What if you started praying, God, would we get this? If we get this, not just me, if we get this, woo, watch out. The love of God. Some theologians call these the four magnitudes of Christ's infinite love for us. How wide is his love? According to John 3, 16, he loved the whole world. How long is Christ's love? It goes on forever and ever and ever, ever. How high is the love of Christ? High enough to get us all the way home. How deep is his love? It goes deep enough to the lowest of sinners. These 
are the things we're to meditate on and understand and be rooted in the love of God. Dr. Donald Barnhouse, a minister in Philadelphia, put it this way. He said, love is the key. Joy is love singing. Peace is love resting. Long-suffering is love enduring. Kindness is love's touch. Goodness is love's character. Faithfulness is love's habit. Gentleness is love's self-forgetfulness. Self-control is love holding the reins. It is the love of God for us that changes everything. When was the last time that you said this prayer? I want the power to understand how wide, how long, how high, and how deep your love is. I mean, if you're like me, it's probably not on your list. Every, your, your, your daily chores, your, your major concerns, those are probably on your list, like mine. But when was the last time you made it a priority to say, God, I want to know that love. I want to know how high it is. I want to know how long it is. I want to know how wide and how deep your love is for me. And would you help us, your body, understand that? To take this all in takes strength. It's why he prays it, that you would be strengthened with inner strength. You would be empowered with inner strength. Do you want to know why it takes strength? Because every other wind of philosophy, teaching, mindset, my, my, uh, my failings, everything goes against the concept that God would love a sinner like me. Do you know that's why he says you need strength to know the love of God? Because every other wind would suggest you are unlovable. You don't measure up. You're not enough on your own. Think about your past. Think about those you've hurt. Think about what you've done when nobody's watching. These are the thoughts that are constantly at war with believing that God would say, I have loved you with an unending love in Christ. This is why it takes strength The deep love of God is always under attack. God has to strengthen us to know what is true. Guys, I really do believe the enemy's major agenda is that the church would forget that they're loved by God and that those that don't know him would never know they were loved by God. It's a pretty simple agenda, but I believe that it is where our battleground really is. And that's why Paul says you need strength. This is why Paul doesn't just say you want to understand it, but you want to experience it. 319 says, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Not simply am I looking to know about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, but it's like Paul saying, I want to know the power of the resurrection. I don't want to play the game. I don't even want to wear the label Christ follower if I don't know what I'm talking about. Like, you may be okay with just in name saying, eh, Christian. But we're living in a day and an age where there are more and more saying, nope, I'm not going to wear a name unless I understand things, unless I get things, unless I know what I'm talking about. And as we move through these things, 
as we become a people who experience this love, which is too great to understand fully, he shapes us into the image of his son. Um, Many people will pass on experiencing God's love because we've chosen to separate ourselves from the body of Christ. I had a mentor in my life one time who would say, everybody needs somebody with a body. Everybody needs somebody with a body. And what he would mean by that is one of the greatest ways to experience the love of God is through his people. You, if you have never experienced a text message that would suggest, hey, I read this scripture, thought of you, praying for you today. It is huge in my life. If you've never sat across the table from someone who says, I see this need in your life and I wanna help meet it. It is a huge need met through the hands and feet of the body of Christ. Maybe you've sat across the table from someone who says, I know what's going on and I just wanna pray with you right now. This is the pursuit of God in our interactions with each other. Maybe you've never sat at a meal with someone to hear them say, dude, I know you're struggling and I just wanna walk with you through it. See, many people will not experience the love of Christ because they've chosen to look for emotional experiences on their own. One of the ways that God makes himself available to us is through our interactions with each other. You cannot separate yourself from the body of Christ and expect to experience his full love for you. This morning, as we close our time together, I know there may be some of you that would say, I don't, I don't understand all the things that we have. You know that list that you read, Jason? I don't really care about it because I don't understand it. Well, here's the deal. I don't understand how electricity works in my house, but I don't sit around in the dark. I don't, I don't. I don't know how my car works, really. Like, I'm not a mechanic. I'm not even trying to pretend to be one. I don't know how things work. I know how to jumpstart my car. I changed an alternator because I watched a YouTube video one time, but that's all I know how to do. I don't know much about cars, but does it keep me from not going anywhere? Well, I don't know how my car works. Can't go anywhere today. Look, there are a lot of things about life I don't understand, but it doesn't keep me from living life. In the same way as Christ followers, no one will fully understand how God became man, how he would die and his death would cover us and his forgiveness would become available to us in Christ, that his new life would be made possible in us, that we would become a new creation through Christ. We don't understand all of these things, but only a fool would ignore such a great opportunity just because I don't understand it all. As his church, we have been empowered to live the way he's asked us to. And this is why it's important that we are strengthened because 319, the remaining verse says, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Why do you chase what you chase? It's because you want to be whole. You know it. You chase 
Everything you chase, whether it's relationships or jobs or education or money or, or parties or that, that nightlife feeling or that identity that, that you want to take on, you chase all of those things because you want to be whole. And here we're hearing that God would say, here's the way to wholeness. And it's not by you finding some other thing. It's by understanding the love of God for us. We are looking for wholeness. We are looking for fullness of life. And God is saying, surprise, it's not found in you. It will never be found in you. But it has been made freely available to us in him. This is what we are to pray that we would be strengthened and empowered. Why? So that we can understand and experience the love of God. Why? So that we would be whole. Strength, love, wholeness. That's what we want. And Jesus has made the way possible. First John chapter five says this, and we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. You can leave here excited today because we know we are praying God's will when we take these words seriously. So many of you are concerned about the hidden will of God, the questions of your life, but what if you began to say these words? What if you begin to pray these words? Will you pray this for your friends? Will you pray this for the church? Will you pray this for your children? Would you make this a priority in the lives of those around you praying these words? Because this is the way to wholeness and it is what every human heart was made to hear. This morning when we go to the corners for communion, we are saying, in fact, Jesus is enough. And when I say that, I'm saying we no longer are striving to work hard, to impress God, to, to make him look at us differently, to make us stand in a better light. We are actually saying, Jesus, you've done it all. You've done enough. Thank you for that. Your love has made me whole. And it is by faith we get to experience that. So when you take that bread and you dip it in the juice, you aren't saying, God, here's me doing this thing to impress you, look better, I wanna be better, I wanna be a better person this week. It's you saying, I'm taking this bread, dipping it in the juice, going, I can't be better. Christ, be my all. That's why we celebrate Christ today and every day. So when your heart is prepared, you may go to the corners of the room and if you are like, I'm just checking things out, I'm not really sure about this whole thing, you are free to remain in your seat. But when we go to this table, when we go to the corners of the room, take this meal, we are saying, Jesus, thank you for your life, death, and resurrection, and we'll proclaim it until you return for your people. Father, we love you, and I ask that in these moments, somehow your Holy Spirit would seal up in us a hunger and a longing to be strengthened with the inner strength by your Holy Spirit so that we might know the height, the depth, the width, and the length of your love that we might be complete. Thank you that that is your will for us. 
in your name we pray.